Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. If you've got your Bible, I encourage you to open it up to the uh, book of Philippians, the letter of Paul to the church in Philippi. We are going to be in uh, the, the chapter 3, starting in verse 4. So just a, some quick reminders about this series, To Live. It is our focus on living out the Christus, Christian life and for us to remember, along with the Apostle Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And gaining a perspective in this life that we live, he calls us to live our lives worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ. His life, death, and resurrection should inspire us not just to say we believe, but instead to also live faithful lives in response to that belief. Uh, chapters, uh, the end of chapter two and heading into, or excuse me, and into chapter three, he reminds us to watch out for false teachers and, and those who would lead us into wrongful thinking, but instead to remember that we are the ones who are called out, set apart. We are supposed to worship God with all that we are, boast in the good works of Christ Jesus in our lives, and put all of our confidence in this life, not in the good things that we do or our good works for salvation, but instead in the salvific work of Christ alone upon the cross. And that is where we place our confidence. And so we get to chapter 3, verses 4 through 11, and we're going to see Paul bring this lesson of not having confidence in our own flesh, in our own good works. He's going to bring it to bear on his own life and show us what it meant for him to put his confidence in Christ alone. So if you've got your Bibles, encourage you to open them up to chapter 3, verses 4 through 11, and we're going to check those out together. So Chapter 3, of course, begins with those reminders. Verse 3, Paul tells us to not put confidence in the flesh. And then verse 4, he begins by saying this, Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ." More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of Him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. So this ability to neglect or let go of our own personal accomplishments and our own self-righteousness and instead to 
Trust fully on the righteousness that comes only as a gift of God through faith in Jesus Christ and His work upon the cross. Paul is trying to bring it to bear in his own life and set himself as an example for both the church in Philippi and for ourselves. So he begins by bragging a little bit about how good he is. And this is not something that we would normally encourage amongst us ourselves, uh, but, but Paul is doing it for a reason. So he begins to say to us in the church in Philippi that there are people who are telling you to trust in your own good works for your salvation, but I am going to tell you that that's unnecessary and wrong, and, and I'm the kind of person who has lots of good works So you should understand that this is not coming from somebody who doesn't meet the requirements that these people are holding up, but instead someone who meets them, and not just meets them, but meets them exceedingly. He says, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, in fact, he doesn't just have reasons, he thinks he has reasons that are even better than anyone else's reasons to have confidence in his good works. Confidence in his, his birthright, confidence in his upbringing. And so he begins to detail exactly why he should be able to be confident in his good works. And so he, he says he was circumcised on the eighth day. And you remember we talked about circumcision, and circumcision was really the heart of the activity that some of these false teachers were encouraging the Gentile believers to participate in. But uh, Paul said, I was circumcised, and I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. And so we're going to look at each of these phrases and why they are significant in Paul's assertion that he has every right to be confident in his own good works. First of all, circumcision. He was circumcised on the eighth day. And this is, this is according to the, the law in the Old Testament. When a, when a young male child, I guess you'd be young when you're born, right? But when a male child is born, uh, on the eighth day after the birth, they're to be brought to the temple, brought in and circumcised by the priest. And that is a requirement for them to be included in the Old Covenant. And so Paul says, I met that standard. Now this was not some sort of, of a off thing. This was something every faithful Jewish child who was male would have been included in. In fact, when we read the New Testament and Jesus, because he was born and participated in the Jewish faith under the Old Covenant and fulfilled it perfectly, he too was circumcised on the eighth day. And so we, we see this is not some sort of, of uh, empty ritual. This is instead a, a practical and genuine Jewish practice under the Old Covenant. And it was required to be included in the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Law. So Paul says, I've been faithful from birth. My parents raised me upright. I am, I am this circumcision thing, it's something that I have lived up to. Now, of course, we all know eight-day-old children don't make choices, but he has been faithful. Now, he says he's of Israel. He's of the right nation. He's part of God's chosen people. And we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 and see how God chose Abraham and his descendants to be unique representatives of the work of God in the greater world. 
And, and, and so Paul says, I'm part, not just of, of those who practiced the faith, but I am physically, I am genetically part of God's chosen people. They are my family. And not only am I born part of the right family, the right nation, but, but I'm also part of a, a smaller group within this great nation called the tribe of Benjamin. And, and they are a faithful part of the, the greater nation. In fact, when we look through Jewish history, if you're familiar with your Old Testament, you know that after King Solomon, the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel, split into half. One uh, half followed his son, and one half followed one of his generals who led others in revolt. There were 12 tribes of Israel. Ten of them followed the and became the northern kingdom that rejected God and rejected His commandments and began to follow Baal and go their own way. And then two of those tribes that were left, the two that were left, remained faithful to God a little bit longer. <laughs> they remained uh, participants in, in life in Jerusalem and the temple and remained faithful to God a little bit longer. And, and one of those two tribes was the tribe of Benjamin. The other one that remained faithful, anybody know? Tribe of Judah. And so Benjamin and Judah actually were taken into captivity much later than all the ten northern tribes, and they kept their genealogies better. And so if you were of Judah or Benjamin, you likely knew it and could trace your lineage all the way back to some of the stories in the Old Testament that we see. Other interesting things about the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, according to the prophecy of Israel or Jacob, they were a warring tribe. And we see in the history of them, they were almost always just dogged warriors who were victorious. And uh, another interesting thing, the first king of Israel, his name was Saul. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. And he was chosen just because he was tall and good looking. Um, so... I clearly could not be king of anywhere because uh, I'm short and I'm me. And so um, Saul, Saul was the first king of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. And Paul, before his conversion to Christianity and his work amongst the Gentile people, his Jewish name, anybody know what it was? Saul. Yeah, so Saul, who became known as Paul. Now, he didn't give up the name Saul. He still would have been called Saul amongst his Jewish friends. But out among the Gentiles, he became known as Paul. And so all of these connections, I am of this faithful family who is just known for their, their dogged warriorship for God and his kingdom. And my name is the same as the first king who was of this tribe of Benjamin. And guess what? Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, and the place where the temple was built was inside the allocated land of the tribe of Benjamin. So the tribe of Benjamin was just like the tribe of tribes, the top tier, or the top tier of, of uh, faithful Jewish tribes. And so Paul says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm of the right nation. I'm of the right faithful family within that nation. He says he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, or a, a Hebrew among Hebrews. And, and we think it, his family raised him up to be a faithful Jew. And they likely spoke and lived Hebrew, the language and the tradition within their household. Now this would have been uncommon. Many of the, the Jews in 
Paul's day, as they were growing up, would have spoke other languages like Aramaic, which was a, a kind of a street language that Jesus spoke and uh, others in, in Israel at that time spoke because not everybody spoke Hebrew well. It's a difficult language and it's, it's a religious language at this point still. And so uh, not everybody spoke Hebrew. And in fact, the, Gentile, or the, the uh, Jews who lived out amongst the Gentiles, they probably never spoke anything but Greek. And so Paul's saying, listen, I'm of the right family. I'm of the right nation. I've been doing this since birth. I speak the right language. I've lived a faithful life. I'm actually better than all of you. Now, this is not boasting for the sake of boasting. This is boasting to prove a point. And he's going to get to it here in a second because you see, in all of these circumstances, he's telling the people who are trying to rely upon their good works for salvation, listen, my works are actually better than yours. I was born better. I was from a better family. I was from a more faithful lineage than you are. And not only does he, he say these things, he doesn't just stop there. He goes on to say this of himself. He says that he was a Pharisee. Now, for us, growing up in church, a lot of us, when we hear the word Pharisee, we think of the guys, they, they must have worn like black capes, right? And they had the, the twirly mustaches and... <laughs> that's kind of how we think of Pharisees. And that's a little bit of a mistake, Because the Pharisees were actually Jews who were seeking to be faithful to God's commands. Now they had gone overboard and began to create rules that no one could live up to. And and they they were being very legalistic in particular, but they were striving to follow after God. They wanted to be faithful Jewish people. And so the Pharisees were actually what we can look at them more of as instead of the the mustache twirling bad guys is that we understand that they were people who had gotten so intent on seeking to follow God that they had twisted things up and gone beyond what God had said to do and started making up their own rules in an effort to be even better. So Paul says, I was a Pharisee according to my belief system. And and so a Pharisee really would have been someone who was struggling, or not struggling, but striving to have right belief and a right lifestyle, striving to be faithful to God's standards. And then he said he, he, he had zeal for his faith, his Jewish heritage. And how did he prove his his zeal, his fervor, his excitement for being a Jew? He persecuted Christians. Now we kind of go, wait, wait, isn't he a missionary now and he's preaching and he's trying to create more Christians? Yes, but before he came to know the gospel and fall in love with Jesus Christ, he proved his, his dedication to the Jewish faith by trying to keep it pure. And this first century Jew would have seen Christianity as a perversion of the Jewish faith. Because you you need to understand that that Christianity is deeply rooted in Judaism. It's deeply rooted in in the Old Testament law and the promise of Messiah that we see in the Old Testament. And so for Christianity to come up out uh, and exist, it, it had to 
acknowledge its Jewish roots. And so Jewish people saw it as a perversion of Judaism, an addition. And so Paul, before knowing Christ, wanted to keep Judaism clean. He wanted to keep the law pure. So he sought to persecute and even go so far as to approve the killing of Christians. In fact, the the day that Paul, or Saul, who became Paul, was saved, he was on his way to a city called Damascus in order to persecute more Christians. And on that journey, Christ appears to him, and he understands his needs for salvation over the ensuing days. And instead of being a persecutor of the church in Damascus, he becomes dependent upon the church in Damascus and is led to salvation by those in Damascus. And he says this, not only was I a a Pharisee who believed the right things and had a right lifestyle, not only was I excited about my Jewish faith and earning my salvation through good works, but I was also blameless in the law. Now he was not saying he was sinless and perfect. What he says in this statement is that he kept the law faithfully. He was not in, any, in violation of any of the, the Jewish pharisaical law and standards. And if he did violate them, he would take the proper action to be made right with God. So he was blameless in his standing before the law. So in this whole list, Paul says, I was born right from the right uh, people, from the right family, I, I, I'm a better Jew than you are. I was a perfect Pharisee. I persecuted Christians trying to keep the Jewish faith pure and earn my salvation. And I did everything just like I had to in order to try and have good works and trust in the things that I did as the foundation for my salvation. But then he says this about that. He goes on in the next verse. After saying he's got the right lineage and heritage, the right works and choices, he says, everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. This whole list of things that I say to you makes me a better rule follower than you are is worthless is what Paul says to us. He says this whole list, the right lineage, the right heritage, things I couldn't control but were true about me and my right works and choices, the things I could control that were true about me, these things that according to your standard of having to follow rules for salvation, according to that standard, I'm all in. I'm in better shape than you. He says it's all meaningless. It's all nothing because I've met Jesus Christ. It's a a picture here. It's actually accounting terms. He says, everything that I thought was gain, everything I thought I was piling on the scale to show my own value, to show my worth, it actually became loss. It became weighted against me when I understood the value of Jesus Christ. When I understood just how important knowing Him is. And what's, what's interesting is we still behave this way 
in our lives today. We like to make lists. We like to, to, to laud and, and, and talk about how amazing we are in our faith. I mean, you know, well, there was that time I went on a mission trip. Oh, man, it was hard. I slept on concrete for four days. I didn't even have a my pillow. I just had to have a regular old pillow. I mean, I was really suffering for Jesus. You know, I mean, we, we, we like to paint, paint. I did my devotions this morning. Everybody needs to hear about my devotions. I, God really spoke to me. Let me tell you what God said. Now, sometimes this can be done from, from good motives and, and good intentions, but sometimes we're trying to convince everybody else that we're as good as we would like to be. We're trying to convince everybody else, see, see I'm, I'm spiritual. Look at all the things I do. Let me tell you about what I sacrificed to be here this morning. Let me tell you about what I had to give up to, to do what we're doing now. Let me tell you about what God did through me. Let me tell you, I've got a word from the Lord for you. We like to begin to pretend that we're something more than what we are. And Paul's trying to encourage us, I want you to stop pretending. I want you to stop piling up accolades. I want you to stop talking about how spiritual you are and understand that in the grand scheme of things, all of that is meaningless if you do not know Jesus Christ. If He is not central to your life, if He is not your great gain, if He is not your great treasure, the list of good works is nothing. It's meaningless. He goes on to say this, more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I might gain Christ. It's... He doesn't just say, look, the, the, the things I used to think were good about me are meaningless. He says, even more than that, everything in this life that I used to think was meaningful, that I used to, to give value, that I used to hoard for myself, that I used to, to store up so I could declare that I had value and meaning, all of it is worthless compared to knowing Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, the man from Nazareth, who is my Lord. And remember the word Lord, when we read it in the New Testament, it refers not just to ruler of my life, it also harkens back to the, the word, the, the name of God, Yahweh, in the Old Testament. And so when we see Lord used in reference to Jesus here in the New Testament, Paul is affirming so many things just in the use of Christ, Jesus, my Lord. He is the Messiah, the man from Nazareth, who is also Yahweh, the king of my life. Paul says to us, look, it's not just the religious good works that you thought were important that are meaningless. When we're honest, it's all of life. It's everything we've ever accomplished, everything we've ever had, that when we start to measure it against the value of knowing the Messiah, Jesus, Yahweh, personally, when we measure those two things against one another, 
every accomplishment, every good word about us, everything we've ever owned is worthless compared to knowing Jesus. It's meaningless compared to actually understanding who He is and walking with Him as King of your life. He says, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I might gain Christ. Everything in my life, I consider it as garbage. The the, the thing that we would want last and least, Paul says, that's exactly what everything you've been striving for is compared to knowing Jesus, compared to being in relationship with Him, compared to walking with Him, compared to being faithful to Him, everything, everything else is dung. It's rotting food. It's animal poop. And He's encouraging all of us to think the things that we think are important about this life, to, think, to take the things that we think qualify us for greatness and to trade it all to know Jesus, to be willing to give it all up in order to have a relationship with the King of creation. He says, I, I want to I know Jesus. I want to, to, to be in relationship with Him and I want to be found in Him. I want my life, my whole life, my, my whole being, all that I am to be so wrapped up in Jesus that when people look for me, they'll know where to find me. Wrapped up in the truth of Jesus Christ. I mean, isn't that an amazing picture you know, if, if we go back, yeah, I'm an extra, right? So I watched Cheers. Some of you, all, you know, you watch Cheers. If Norm wasn't at work, where would you look for Norm? Right? On the corner of the bar at Cheers. Right? I mean, that's, that's you know where to find Norm. He's in the bar. You know where to find Michael. That's the goal. He's in Christ. His whole life is so wrapped up in Jesus that when I need to know where he's at and and find him, I look for where Jesus would be and what Jesus would be doing. That should be our hope. That should be our goal in living out this life of faithfulness to count everything else as garbage and to live in him so fully that when people look for us, they know to find us in Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that we look so much like him in character. We look so much like him in relationship that we might even be mistaken for him as we walk down the street. Oh, who was that? Was that Jesus? Oh, no, no, it wasn't Jesus. It was just Dawn. That's what Paul says we should long for. That's what Paul says we should strive to, to make the most important thing in our life. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, Understanding that as we seek to be in Christ, as we seek to be living in a way that's pleasing to Him, it's not in order to earn our righteousness. In fact, that is the farthest from the truth. We are not seeking to earn God's favor or earn our salvation, but instead we understand our salvation is a free gift by grace through faith. And so we 
understand we're not trying to be good people. We're trying to be people who love Jesus so much that we turn everything over to him. And his goodness flows out through us because of who we are in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Where does righteousness come from? Where does a right standing with God flow from? Where does your salvation come from? Not your good works. Though, of course, we understand, and Paul has already told us clearly, good works should flow from a saved life. But your salvation does not come from your good works. Where does it come from? Through faith in Christ. The righteousness of God. Isn't that a beautiful picture? The righteousness of God. The holiness of God. The salvation that comes only from God given to you as you respond to Him in faith. Instead of working to try and and meet a checklist so that He might save you, you understand you are saved. And now it's not a checklist to earn something. It is a love letter that I can give to him as I walk in faithfulness. We want to be found in him. We want to understand we're not trying to earn our salvation, but it is a free gift of God by grace through faith. And when we are saved, we then have the privilege of walking and looking more like Jesus. What we're seeking after is a righteousness based on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. It is a It was earned by Him. It was paid for by Him on the cross of suffering. It was He who took the wrath of God upon Himself and and paid the price for our sin. And then by His goodness, His own righteousness flows out to us and we're clothed in that righteousness. It's His faithfulness that we trust in. It's His perfect life and His faithfulness to the Father that we we say, I want to be like that and I know that you paid the price for me and we receive that by faith and we see it lived out in relationship. So Paul says this, he says, my goal, here's the end game and we're not talking about Avengers here, We're, we're, we're talking about this is the goal of the Christian life as we seek to know God through Christ Jesus not based on our own good works, but based upon the works of Christ on the cross and faith in Him. Now the goal is to know Him, to know the power of His resurrection, to know the fellowship of His sufferings, that we might be conformed to His death and somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. So we'll, we'll take and we'll unpack this for a second here. Paul says, I turn my whole life over to Christ. I count everything that I would say is good about me as meaningless in light of trying to earn salvation because that doesn't work. Instead, I know my salvation comes simply by the righteousness of Christ and faith in Him. And so I walk in Him hoping to know Him. To know Him. And the word know is not just intellectual knowledge. It is deep and meaningful relationship. 
in the Old Testament, the, the, it's a different word in the Hebrew and the Greek, but they're similar in intent. To know someone is to be intimate physically. In the New Testament, to know Jesus is to have a deep and abiding intimacy and relationship with him. So Paul says, why do I trust in Jesus alone? Because my works are meaningless. All the good things I would say about myself are just poop. And instead, what's meaningful, what's, what, what this is all about is knowing Jesus. Experiencing Him. Being in relationship with Him. And, and we, we struggle with this, don't we? We struggle. We, we, we think that our faith is about checklists sometimes. We think that our, our salvation comes from doing right things when really it, it flows from Knowing him deeply and intimately. Now, how do we get to know Jesus? We read our Bible. Yes. Why do we read our Bible? Because he is revealed in the written word. The word, the logos, is revealed in the word, the written word. What we pray to know him. We, we, we pray to have dialogue with him and get to know him better. We, we worship him because he deserves it. And it's one of our ways of honoring our relationship with him. This is why we should sing songs boldly. Why we should live faithful lives. But the goal is not the things that we do. It is the relationship those things lead to. The intimacy we will experience. So our goal is to know Him. To know the power of His resurrection. Doesn't that sound good? To know the power of His resurrection. The same God who raised Christ Jesus from death to life is the God you are in relationship with and if he can raise a dead body to life can he not raise someone like you and me from sin to holiness can he not give us confidence and change us from shrinking violets to raging roses I mean what you, you see the that the power of the resurrection is such that if God can raise Jesus from the dead, he can raise us up from sin and brokenness. One of the saddest things a Christian can say without understanding the implications is, I can't. If you just say, I can't, and you end there, and you're talking about a sin and overcoming it, well, I can't. If that's where you stop, you're missing out on something. Instead, it should be, I can't. But the same God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead can. And when he asks me to be something that I feel like I can't be, the answer isn't, I give up. It is, I want to know the power of his resurrection in that area of my life. To overcome that addiction, to overcome that habit, to get rid of my bad attitude. To stop being an angry monster. No, you can't on your own. But when you know Him, and you know the power of His resurrection, He can in you. And not only that, Paul says he wants to know this, the fellowship of His sufferings. That one just kind of sounds like one I'd like to cross off. How about you? The fellowship of His... No, that... I don't like that part. Let's not do that part. Let's not know the fellowship of his sufferings. 
What's interesting about Jesus' suffering and the way that Paul refers to it in other places in his letters is that he sees his own suffering to be comparable to Jesus' suffering in the sense of Jesus suffered to bring salvation to all of mankind. And Paul says his suffering was so that some of those men and women who Jesus had suffered for might come to hear and know the gospel by his own suffering. Does that make sense that your suffering, and as you line it up with the suffering of Jesus, Jesus died to make salvation possible. You suffer in order to bring the good news of salvation to others. And so when you share in his suffering, you're saying his suffering on the cross mattered because it paid the price for my sin. And I know that my suffering and when I'm in fellowship with him, it matters because it brings the good news of his suffering to everyone who might believe. And so I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. His suffering was pure joy because by it, he was able to save you and me from our sin. When we suffer, and when we suffer for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel, it should be exciting because in so doing, we get to see people come to know him. We get to see lives changed forever. So Paul says, I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection in my life. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings and be able to see people's lives changed because of my own suffering and the good news of the gospel. And here's why. I want to be conformed to his death. I want to be conformed to his death. And this death that Jesus died, Paul talks about it earlier in chapter 2 when he's talking about unity and sacrifice towards brothers and sisters. Jesus, in his death, gave up the rights and privileges of heaven, set them aside, became a servant, suffered and died in the most horrific way in order to save others, you and I. Paul says, I want to be conformed to the death of Jesus Christ. I want to be able to set aside all the things that I thought were valuable about myself and give of myself completely for the sake of others. To die to sin, to be resurrected to new life, and and to be able to see lives changed because of God's work in and through me. And he says, He wants to do all of this, assuming that I will somehow. And really in the Greek, what this is, is not some sort of, oh, cross my fingers, hope. But the way it could be expressed better is not that I might somehow or no, but instead it's knowing that one day I will, Lord willing, be resurrected from among the dead. So he has this this looking ahead. Remember he talks about to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And what is the gain? One day, like Christ was resurrected from the dead in a perfect body, forevermore to be alive, I too and every believer along with me will be resurrected from the dead to be forever alive, free from the suffering and sin that weights this life down, and we will have so much more to rejoice in together. Paul is painting a picture of putting aside 
works and trying to earn your salvation and instead coming to a place where you trust fully in the work of Christ Jesus on the cross and you focus on your relationship with Him knowing that when you focus on Him and knowing Him that resurrection power will come to be in your life and you'll begin to see things like Oh, I don't know the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Welling up from within you because of the power of the resurrection. And people's lives changed as you suffer along with Christ. As you die to self and give of yourself, you have the confidence that one day you'll be like Jesus in the sense that you'll be brought from death to life physically to be like that and be with Him forevermore. This is what Paul is encouraging the Philippian church to. This is what he's encouraging us to. Stop storing up treasures for yourself in good works and trying to to earn God's favor and instead trust fully in Jesus and then allow Him to work through you to be the kind of person you're meant to be. Paul says he wants to know him and his resurrection power and his suffering so that he will be conformed to the death of Christ and resurrected on that final day when Jesus returns. This is the great hope of the Christian. Not that we can try hard and earn our salvation, but that by faith through grace and the righteous works of Christ on the cross, we will be saved and brought into relationship with Him so that we then might begin to know Him and do good works according to His power welling up within us, conformed to His sacrificial death, but ultimately resurrected in the end. The, the, the call on every Christian's life is to join with Peter and the rest of the disciples as they walked with Jesus. Jesus, here in John chapter 6, he had the day before fed 5,000. And then they met up with him the next day and they wanted to, to say, hey, make him king so he would keep feeding them. And uh, he taught some hard stuff and he kind of chased them away with the, the difficult things he was teaching them. And then he looked at Peter and the other disciples who were there with him, and he said, so are you guys going to leave too? I've taught some hard things today. Are you guys going to jet? Because, you know, I kind of would understand if you did. And here's what Peter answers on behalf of all of the disciples who remained. Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One. Of God. Peter and the other disciples, Paul, Christians for generations and, and 2,000 years before us, and hopefully we ourselves, come to the point where we understand everything else is meaningless and has no value because we've come to understand who Jesus is and to believe on him, and there is nothing else worth pursuing. Nothing else worth chasing after. Now, does that mean you still need to go to work tomorrow? Yes. But what I mean by that is that in the midst of going to work, you're doing it for the glory of Jesus. In the midst of doing the dishes, you're doing it for for relationship with Him. In in the midst of, of 
caring for your children. It's not because you have to in order to be a good parent. It's because you get to in order to glorify your Savior. What a privilege it is to be freed from trying to earn things and please God that way to a place where you know when you are in Christ, you are righteous and just, and now you have the power to be raised up to new life and do things in a way that's worshipful and gracious and loving toward Him. You've come to the point where there's nowhere else in this life to turn because the only answer to every question is Jesus. How will I parent Jesus? How am I supposed to work? What kind of employee am I supposed to be? What kind of boss am I supposed to be? Jesus. How should I drive? Jesus. <laughs> what kind of things should I watch? Jesus. What kind of things should I listen to? Jesus. How should I treat my loved ones? Jesus is the answer for all of these questions. And what he has taught and what he has done and the power that is available to us as believers through relationship with him, he is the answer to every question. So some questions for you that really are, should all be answered with Jesus. What are you trusting in for your salvation? Are you trying to be a good per person? Because Paul has just told us that all the good works that you can do is dung. It's garbage. It is to be rejected as no value. What are you trusting in for your salvation? Because the only place that you can turn, the only thing that is of value is Jesus himself and relationship with him. Turn to Jesus. What are you giving the greatest value in your life? Now that you say you're a Christian, now that you've been turning to Jesus for salvation, maybe you've, you understand it's by grace through faith, but are you really giving Jesus the value that he deserves in your life? Are you really placing him in the position that he deserves? Are you really allowing him to be the most important thing in your life? Are you trusting in and valuing other things over Christ? And a question that really we should ask ourselves kind of from time to time, do we really want to know him or are we just in this for what we think he can give us? Because if you're just thinking this is a transactional thing and I'll trade, Jesus, I'll trade you some nice words and I'll wear the label Christian so that you'll save me, this is not a transaction like that. This is, what is it that brings salvation? It is, it is a genuine relationship. It is a longing to know Him. It is a chasing after Him. It is a, a taking for yourself the righteousness that is, is given to us by His life, death, and resurrection to really know Him. Do you want to know Jesus or are you just playing a religious game and trying to find a back doorway to earn your salvation? It doesn't work like that. It simply does not You've got to get to the point where you realize everything else is worthless and Jesus is the only thing of value. And not just Jesus as an object, but Jesus as the one to whom you long for relationship with. The one you want to be like. The one you will be found in. The one who defines your life. This is what it means to know Jesus is what Paul is telling us. 
Jesus himself says this in John 17, 3. This is eternal life. And, and that word eternal, sometimes we think it's about everlasting, but the word is so much more rich than that. It's about full life. It's about life that is like to the brim and lasts forever. This is eternal life. That they may know you, know you, be in relationship with you, the only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, you, me, all of us, when we say we're Christians, we should be passionately pursuing Jesus Christ above all else. Now, what does that look like? Of course, it's going to include things like prayer and worship and Bible study and contemplation, but it also includes things like how we work, how we play, how we raise our children, how we treat our loved ones, how we behave inside the church. These are all part of our relationship with Him. So may we, like Paul, be found in Him. May we find our righteousness in Him. And may we want to know Him above all things because Jesus is so valuable for us as Christians, for us as believers. To live is about Him. It's all about Him. It's about walking with Him. It's about talking like Him. It's about being in relationship with Him. It's about counting Him as the most valuable in our life. And then, when we die, it only gets better. When we die, it only gets better. What a, what a cool thing this faith is. What an amazing God we have. What a, an astounding Savior possesses us even as we possess him, to be able to say, this life has value and then it only gets better when we get to the next phase. May you and I, may we count all of the valuable things as dung in order that we might know Jesus and pursue him as the one of highest value in our life. If you've got questions, if you want to talk through what that might mean in a specific application in your life, I encourage you to grab a brother or sister or come talk to one of the elders or deacons, or, but, but to, to not be afraid to say, well, okay, so here's the problem. Here's my situation. What, what do you think it would look like to live out Jesus, to live like Jesus, to live with Jesus in this circumstance? This is what church is supposed to be for, that we work out these things together and how we live our faith so that to live might be Christ and to die might be gain. Let's pray together and then we'll close with a final worship song as we finish up our morning. Father God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for the words of the Apostle Paul and his wisdom by which he reminds us that all of the things of this world, all of the accomplishments that we could hold up and say, this is what makes us special are actually of no value whatsoever compared to knowing your Son. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for giving up the rights and privileges of heaven and setting them aside, coming and being a servant, living a perfect sinless life and dying on a cross for our sins, rising again on the third day to prove you really are who you say you are and can genuinely forgive us and redeem us and bring us into relationship with you. If only we will confess you as our Lord and Savior and believe in our hearts that the Father has raised you from the dead. We thank you so much for this privilege of being able to be declared righteous because of our relationship with you. Help us to long for you more. 
Help us to measure what we're valuing in this life. To not count the things of this world as more valuable than our relationship with you. And then to allow that relationship to trickle over and percolate into every aspect of who we are and how we live. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the certainty of salvation that comes through your hand as we follow after you faithfully. And thank you so much for the power of your resurrection, making us new creations day by day, bit by bit. We look forward to the day when we see you face to face, when we experience the resurrected life, and we can cry out with the Apostle Paul to live It was for you, Jesus. But this death, as we see your face, my goodness, it's for gain. And we rejoice in the resurrected life. Thank you for giving us a clear picture of what it means to walk with you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the example of Paul, and may we be found in you as well. It's in your name that we pray this morning. Amen. Let's stand together and close with our last song of the day.
die to self and experience the resurrection that comes only through you. May you be blessed this week as you seek his face, as you seek to honor him, as you value him above all else. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. See you guys next Sunday. Of course, our normal events going on throughout the week. And if you'd like to get some uh, church gear... It's available up here. Just uh, your payments in the envelopes, put in the uh, offering box, and we're good to go. So love you guys. See you throughout the week and next week.